Hello and welcome to another episode of the University of Bath Thought Train podcast. I'm your host, Sam Bradley. Today we're talking about modern Europe with a particular focus on Italy. I'm joined by Professor Anna Bull from the Department of Politics, Language and International Studies. Thank you for joining us, Professor. Thank you very much for asking me to Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> First of all, I would like to get your read on where you think uh, Europe, specifically the EU, is at right now politically. I think uh, the EU is in uh, um, a difficult situation at present. Let us say uh, at a crossroads in the sense that uh, um, it has to decide how to go forward and uh, which countries are uh, are able to go forward with a specific new project. Um, it seems to some extent to fall apart because uh, um, it's difficult to uh, the EU is finding it's difficult to uh, um, uh, convince its member states to uh, uh, show solidarity with each other. Um, and we've seen that in the migrant crisis, where, uh, in fact, Italy has been at the forefront, because Italy is one of the first ports of call for migrants, especially coming from North Africa, of course, and, and crossing uh, uh, the Mediterranean, and uh, and the country has asked the European Union to intervene, and especially um, there is a policy currently uh, whereby um, uh, refugees who have the right to uh, be welcomed in in the EU uh, should be uh, uh, should be able to uh, be distributed, let's say, between different European countries. So what we have seen uh, has been an of European countries who have refused to take their quota of, uh, uh, of, of refu- refugees, leaving Italy to some extent feeling that it has been left isolated. And recently, um, the European Union has admitted that the policy is not working. So this is one of the areas where uh, there are problems. The other area, I would say, is the financial one, and especially a link to this policy of austerity, whereby, of course, uh, Italy again is at the <laughs> forefront because it has a deficit that is over 130% of its GDP, which obviously, yes, exactly, in this country is around 90, I believe, and uh, which is high enough, but 130-odd percent is very high. So, obviously, the country has to do something about this, this deficit, but at the same time, to keep imposing a policy of austerity is clearly... Uh, raising very big political issues with um, uh, people becoming disenchanting with uh, their representatives at national level and EU level, with people voting for populist parties, extreme parties, etc. So these are only two areas where the EU needs to find a, a way forward, possibly a collective way forward. That's interesting you should bring up those two areas, the uh, the immigration and uh, the finances, because we've seen, it, at least in the UK, that uh, a lot of people who voted for Brexit live in economically challenged areas, and those are also the areas that seem to have the biggest problem with mass immigration, or at least what they think about mass immigration. Um, so it's not comforting, but it's interesting to hear that these problems are uh, represented across the EU. Everyone seems to be dealing with the same thing. Do we think then that 
Italy would ever come close to leaving the EU? I don't think so. I, I, I really don't. I think there was a time uh, a few years ago when there seemed to be uh, a rising Eurosceptic uh, uh, public opinion. So, And I know that in this country during the Brexit campaign, there was the hope, actually, that <laughs> Brexit would simply be the first of a series of, and, and have a domino effect mm-hmm. across Europe, and this does not seem to have happened. Um, in fact, incidentally, I think for many European countries, what is happening in this country is a kind of... Uh, uh, a example, a kind of model that, uh, and, and things are not going that well at the moment in terms of negotiations or in terms of uh, uh, even the, 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 the economy. There have been changes, you know, uh, there has been a stall in, in, in uh, economic growth. So I think, I think uh, across Europe, these, these changes have been observed mm-hmm. and, and people have become more wary. Of, of what leaving the EU might might entail. So, I, I no, I don't think there is a risk at present. Okay. You mentioned there people were sort of maybe voting for fringe parties. What's the political climate in Italy like right now? Because there's an election coming up uh, next year, I believe. There is an election coming up next year. And uh, uh, the forecast is, in fact, uh, uh, not too good in the sense that uh, uh, the forecast is for... Uh, three uh, uh, parties or group of parties to uh, emerge with roughly uh, 25% of the votes each, which would mean stalemate. (laughs) And also because it's difficult to see how they could collaborate with each other. Basically, there is uh, the centre-left, where the main party is uh, a social-democratic party, um, uh, which has been uh, um, accused by more leftist uh, uh, groups of uh, uh, being too mainstream and having moved too much towards the centre. So the left is divided at present. Uh, on the right, uh, there are uh, three main groupings. The main one, one of the main ones is Forza Italia, with the, still headed by Berlusconi, mm-hmm. despite the fact he's over 80 years old, but uh, he, he never gives, gives up. He's got, we have to hand that to him. He's been party leader of that party for a very long for time. For a very long time. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. No, no, he would not concede uh, the leadership <laughs> to anybody else. Absolutely not. Uh, but they are also in uh, in alliance, or they will be probably, with uh, um, the Northern League, which has become more and more an extremist, extremist party, quite a xenophobic party, and even a racist party. So... That uh, uh, is um, is going to create problems if they are ever in government. And then there is this third movement, which is the Five Star Movement, which is a populist movement, anti-establishment, as we have seen in many other European countries, which is unclear whether it's left or right. Obviously, many populist parties claim they are beyond left and right. This is Beppe Grillo. This is Beppe Grillo, an ex-actor, exactly. Uh, Russell and, Brand with better hair, as uh, I commented when I was researching him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. Yes. Well, we'll we'll come on to him um, a little bit later. I just want to bring you back to the uh, the current uh, ruling, if you like, party, the Democratic Party, uh, headed by Paolo Gentiloni. 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 Yes. I almost got that so uh, right. Yes. Um, and that was formed from uh, several left 
leaning parties, I believe, um, around 10 years ago. That party was formed, and now people are accusing it of moving it, moving right. too much to the middle. How, right. how did that happen? Um, my, it, it, it has become a kind of new labour. Oh, so, right, okay. So, um, but, uh, because I think one of the problems in Italy is that Berlusconi was in power for... Uh, many years uh, since uh, his first victory in uh, in 1994, um, but uh, uh, Berlusconi um, presented himself as uh, a male version of uh, Mrs. Thatcher, so that someone who would introduce uh, uh, very radical uh, uh, liberal and neoliberal policies. But he ha actually didn't do that very much. So in a sense, we have a situation in Italy where a lot of people were saying Italy needs reforms, of uh, needs more privatizations, more liberalizations, so kind of neoliberal reforms. Mm -hmm. And the right, uh, headed by Berlusconi when he was in government, did not introduce those reforms. So in a sense, when the Democratic Party... Uh, uh, governed, it, it, it felt incumbent almost upon itself to introduce some of those policies. And therefore, it has been seen as having betrayed many mm -hmm. of its leftist values. And what do you, do you think they've betrayed the leftist values, or do you think they've done what needed to be done? Maybe the truth is 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 uh, is in both uh, somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle, in the sense that you you could say yes, it has moved more towards the center, uh, but at the same time, uh, the left uh, and this is not just the case in Italy; it's probably throughout Europe. The, the left is finding it difficult to come up with new solutions that are not just the old uh, uh, remedies, but mm -hmm. they are new, but they are left clearly left at the same time. So in a sense, when it comes to what needs to be done to address the economic problems, low, slow growth and so on, there appears to be only one recipe. Yeah. Do you think there's a hunger for socialism? I'm wary of using that word, or at least left-leaning politics. Do you think there's a hunger for that in Italy right now? Or do Italians want the, the hard reforms that you were talking about earlier? I think at the moment it is not even the hard reforms probably that that are going to sway the 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 the, the next elections. At, at present, again, there is what we can may define as a politics of fear that appears to prevail. In other words, uh, fear for one's uh, own security. Uh, uh, fear that uh, yes, these uh, 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 migrants coming to the country are going to uh, uh, you know they've been depicted by the extreme right as invading the country mm -hmm. and going to change completely the way of life and the mm -hmm. culture of the country. So um, uh, uh, fear of crime and 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 so on. So when uh, the 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 feelings of of the of voters of the people are feelings of fear and insecurity, then I would say traditionally it is the right that tends to gain mm -hmm. from from that. So the left needs to be able to address these fears at one level and at the same time repropose different kind of policies of. At, uh, tackling inequality, tackling uh, social disadvantage, etc. Mm -hmm. The usual issues. The usual issues, which, which uh, in fact, uh, are very important for many, many people mm. who have been 
left uh, uh, marginalized uh, as a result of, of, of recent uh, developments. Because, we, as you know, we have had growth in this country, especially this country has had growth, but it has left many people behind despite that. Yeah, the, uh, the issue of wealth and wealth redistribution is something that a lot of elections, I think, in the coming future will be won and lost on because it's quite a hot issue. It's coming back, right. isn't it? It's coming Seems back. To be. Yes, yes, I think that's a good thing. So we mentioned uh, Beppe Grillo's uh, five-star party, was it? Um, he's a satirist, as far as I can make out. He's a satirist, an actor, uh, an activist, who, again, as you said, doesn't really adhere to left or right. Is he having an effect on the elections, or is he just an outlier right now? He's definitely had uh, an effect on the electorate. Is uh, that effect has perhaps stabilized around? Well, it, it oscillates between twenty five, twenty nine percent of the electorate who um, support the party. Um, what has happened in recent times has been that um, this movement has been able to elect two mayors. Uh, if they said two mayors elected, both of them women, mm -hmm. uh, which is a good thing, uh, I would say. Uh, one in Rome and one in Turin. Um, the Turin experience has been, well, mixed, but perhaps not too bad. The one in Rome is generally seen as uh, being a bit of a failure. How so? Uh, because Rome is a very problematic <laughs> city, uh, traditionally not terribly well administered um, compared to other cities. Um, uh, there, were, there was a scandal some years ago about a kind of uh, 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 connivance between local politics and uh, um, the local uh, uh, Say organized crime or the, the even, oh, right. yeah yeah so there there were shady dealings going on and and uh, this discredited politics so she uh, came Virginia Raggi is her name she was elected on a ticket of of, of radical change on a ticket of transparency right. uh, a ticket of uh, cleaning the stables and and uh, uh, no I wouldn't say she has. Uh, been able to do so certainly not until now so it, maybe this has prevented the party from making even more inroads into mm. the electorate but it seems stable because you would think having put a mayor in power in rome of all cities would give you more street cred i suppose more than maybe 25 percent of the electorate since rome is such a key power city within italy um you mentioned the organized crime there and I've got Felia Allen coming on the show. Yes, yes. Very it, soon. That's why I hesitated, uh, to be fair, because it's not Rome is not known for, for having um, an organised crime organisation. But nonetheless, yes, there, there has been certainly uh, corruption at, at various levels. So the, the city has not, has not by any means been exempt, but it's not one of the traditional um, strongholds of an organised crime organisation. No. Okay. So the Democratic Party's power is far from safe then. There's the far right and there's the five star <laughs> party that are both looking like they might force a coalition. And not, not possibly not with each other because there is a, Berlusconi would form a coalition with the Northern League and right. another small party of the right. The five star movement have always claimed they don't want to be in a coalition. So that that's sense. why that's why it's going to be very difficult. If 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 there is going to be mm -hmm. this kind of equal distribution, a third, a third, a third, it, it may well be stalemate. The Democratic Party is uh, 
uh, has a problem in the sense that it is in government. And uh, a lot of people are unhappy with the uh, socioeconomic uh, situation, but also the, with, with uh, uh, the issue of, of uh, migration, as we mentioned, with uh, their multiple insecurities. And, and so they, they tend to blame the government, obviously. And, and, and the, the Democratic Party is in the fiery line at the moment. So it will have to convince the electorate that, in fact, it has done uh, enough to address their issues, um, and at the same time, what uh, uh, Matteo Renzi, who was the previous uh, prime minister and he's uh, the, the leader of the party, uh, because in Italy the, the leader of the party is one person, the, mm -hmm. the, the head of government uh, is another person at present. So what Matteo Renzi is trying to do is to try, try to behave uh, uh, partly as uh, uh, um, a, a responsible person uh, who supports the government, and partly as an anti-establishment politician, so joining the you know the populist uh, trend. There's a thin line to walk. Yes, he's learning. He's learning from the Northern League, a party that I've, I've researched for many, many years, mm -hmm. and uh, um, a party who has always uh, successfully, I would say, generally successfully uh, tread this line. So even when he was in government uh, and, and, and he uh, approved certain policies, yeah. uh, he, he would then publicly kind of, of oppose mm -hmm. <laughs> those same policies. It's, it's a kind of game that... I don't think it can last for, for, for a long time, but in the short term, it appears to pay off. Mm. Tell us about the Northern League party. The Northern League is um, is a party that, as I say, I, I study for a long time because my, I, in my research, I tend to study the bodies, let's say. <laughs> yes, that's a very, a very uneasy position to be in because when you study groups that like marginalised groups or, or minority groups, oppressed groups, you know, you you feel in a sense that your research is also a kind of advocacy mm -hmm. and, and that and, and you can fully empathize with, with the people and, and the movements you study and research. But when you study uh, a party like the Northern League or I've studied neo-fascists, I've studied uh, terrorists, mm -hmm. you, you know, they, obviously you cannot empathize with them. Um, but at the same time, you have to understand where they're coming from. That is very, very important. Is there an openly uh, far-right party, would you say? No, oh, no. Right? to go back to the Northern League, they didn't start as a far-right party, no. Okay. Um, but they started as a separatist party. So they, 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 they wanted to put across the, the grievances of, of the uh, Northerners who felt that the politicians in Rome were neglecting their interests uh, and their needs and were, uh, uh, in fact, pocketing, let's say, the, the, the money and, 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 the, and uh, you know, the, the, the profits that they were able to make because uh, they, with all their uh, industries and, and uh, businesses and so on. So in a sense, they were being robbed. But mm -hmm. they were creating the wealth for Italy and they were being robbed by the politicians in Rome. Not too dissimilar from a lot of the sentiment in some of the UK elections whereby the north of England uh, traditionally, I have to say traditionally, past tense, voted for working parties and on tickets of denouncing you know, Westminster. And those people down in the south who take all the credit and take all the power and we never get ours and 
we used to build stuff and now we don't. Is there a, that sort of similar, I'm sensing, north-south divide in Italy? Uh, it's a little bit different. I think I think the the comparison would be mainly with Catalo- Catalonia. Okay. Because it's uh, uh, it, it's uh, one of the uh, fastest growing uh, regions, uh, even though it has uh, also a high public debt. But I mean, it it, it is um, economically doing better than uh, many other regions, and so there is an element of you know why should I share my wealth with the rest of the country. I produce it, I want to keep it here. Uh, uh, taxes should be, kept, the taxes we pay should be kept in the region. So it's that kind of sentiment. And and, and another equivalent would be in, in Flanders, uh, where uh, again, there is a far right party which has uh, um, fostered and promoted similar kind of sentiments. So, Obviously, there is a substance to it. You have to address these grievances where they exist. You know, it's not enough. Very often, the reaction tends to be on the moral level. Mm. You know, people should be solidaristic. We are uh, the same nation. We all belong together. Uh, These are very selfish sentiments that shouldn't prevail. That is fine. But at the same time... In practice. In practice, if if there is such a collective feeling of of grievance and of being let down by the state and by the government, you have to address them in some ways. So that was the Northern League at the beginning. And then it developed more and more into um, a far-right party, almost a single-issue party, anti-immigration, anti uh, anti foreigners, uh, yeah, yes. I bet they're having a whale of a time now with the uh, all the immigration debates um, currently swirling around and all the anti immigration sentiment. Have they they've seen a pick up in their um... yes, they have, they have because uh, I mean, a, a traditional uh, uh, I mean, their, their absolute peak was around 10 percent, but usually they, they, they were around five six percent, um, and and currently they they are polling in the opinion polls they are polling around uh, 13 14% so that that is quite high but that also reflects the fact that Berlusconi's party has gone down so in a sense that this the the coalition the right coalition has mm. not gone up very much but okay. but but the balance between the different components has changed in favor of the extreme right which again would present problems if they went uh, if they were elected to govern. Do you think they would push Italy to leave the EU? No, I still don't. Still I no. still don't, because even though the Northern League has become much more Eurosceptic, it started as a pro-EU party, mm-hmm. and, and it has become quite Eurosceptic and anti-EU and anti-establishment in general, um, Berlusconi's party has, has uh, become more aligned to, mm-hmm. to, to the EU if anything, and 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 the five star movement, for instance, which started as fairly Eurosceptic, has uh, declared uh, its allegiance to to the EU. So on balance, I still think no, it won't happen. No one in Italy wants to leave the EU. No, no, there are many people <laughs> who are dissatisfied. You know what? They are especially dissatisfied when when uh, the euro was introduced, and, and they do mm-hmm. have a, a point there because. Uh, for whatever reasons, the, the the exchange rate was was very unfavorable, and and so the old lira you could buy a lot more with the old right. lira than you could 
buy with the euro and people felt the felt the, the consequences in their pockets so but still no on uh, although euro skepticism has, has gone up uh, i think the fear of the unknown the fear of you know the yeah. cliff yeah. Would, would stop people from supporting leaving the eu so how do these parties then if they don't want to, because that seems to be the catch-all response, if you're unhappy with immigration, leave the EU, seems to be the line. How do these parties then say they'll decrease immigration if they want to stay within the European Union? What's their party line on, on that? I There is a contradiction there, but we've seen contradictions in in the Brexit negotiations mm -hmm. all, all the way through. Just a bit. So, exactly, exactly. So... Um, I don't think they know themselves how it can be solved, but 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 they still make promises to the electorate. Obviously, that if they were elected, then they would stop migration, etc. But in fact, when Berlusconi was in power, he didn't really stop migration. Did he not? Whether the, the, there was no real jump or decline or anything like that. Uh, he, he managed at one stage to uh, limit the uh, the arrivals from Libya because he made an agreement with with Gaddafi, and so there was a, uh, <laughs> they were actually stopped from uh, from from uh, leaving or or, okay. or or the yes the ships were were uh, sent back. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, and and Berlusconi was heavily criticized for that. But then you know it, it, it's it's possible to reach Italy from many different directions. So, in a sense, mm. the route changed. Uh, so, I, I don't think we have seen overall a, a dramatic uh, uh, decrease in, in immigration. And also, Berlusconi famously, he passed a law which granted um, uh, 700, at the time 700,000 illegal or, or undocumented migrants um, the right to stay. Wow. So, which was pragmatic again? Yeah. We see we see pragmatic policies being followed or introduced, um, and a very uncompromising rhetoric mm -hmm. continuing to be used. But again, I see parallel with Brexit. Yeah. Well, just going to raise that. Yeah, it seems like we could maybe use a little bit of that during Brexit. How are a sort of um, Italians who are politically motivated or um, at least interested in the political world? How are they viewing? Brexit, not just as a look, a nation is leaving the EU, but how are they viewing how we're handling negotiations? I have to say, it is not that prominent in newspapers. Oh, right. I read uh, about three Italian newspapers every day. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, online, it's possible now, <laughs> and um, I don't see that prominent. It is reported, but but without much of a debate or, or, or that many comments. Um, so as a consequence also, the general public is not that involved. Uh, I think that, that from what from discussions I've had, from, from what I hear people talking about it, that, uh, from what emerges is there is some sympathy for the decision um, but in fact, the more the negotiations go on, there is there is this feeling that uh, perhaps it wasn't the right decision. And yes, perhaps we may not end up doing it purely because we cannot get the red get from behind the red tape. I could totally understand that. You mentioned um, earlier on uh, on the podcast about 
Italy's financial situation. Um, wh- why has that happened? Is that a long-standing thing? Or is that something that's happened fairly recently? No, Italy is an exception uh, from this point of view because for many European countries the the deficit increased uh, quite dramatically since the 2008 uh, crisis, financial crisis. crisis. Um, But in the Italian case, it it, it is fairly uh, historic and and, uh, um, it started in the 1970s, late 70s, and it really went up quite dramatically in the 1980s. And one of the reasons was that, you know, we have to go back thinking Cold War terms in those days. And and Italy uh, was the European country with the largest Communist Party, Mm -hmm. um, Western European country with the largest Communist Party. And uh, uh, the party government was Christian Democracy, which was in government uninterruptedly between 1945 and 1992, uninterruptedly in government with... uh, uh, various partners in government, so not not in government on its own necessarily, but always in government and always presenting the alternative as uh, impossible because as too very dangerous. The alternative would have been the communist in government. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways, uh, this is a rational explanation, if you like, for corruption in Italy, which is one of the ways Christian democracy attracted consensus for so many years, through so many decades, was by making concessions, by, for, I'll give you an example, that uh, um, in Italy it was possible uh, in those days to um, uh, have a pension after 15 years in work. Uh, this was later uh, changed to 19 years. So you could work for 19 years, 19 years, six months, etc., mm-hmm. and then retire and have a pension as from then. You didn't have to wait to have your pension. So these kind of concessions obviously uh, uh, put a burden on the, the Just tax. a bit, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. That, I can't believe that. That, yes, you were, yes. that you were once able to claim pension after, what was it, first 15 years and then 19 and years? And then 19 years, yes, yes. Blimey. Yes. So they just made a lot of Civil servants, teachers, and... teachers, people work for the state, etc. They were able to have this. That's crazy. So they just made a lot of these shoddy deals and without any real consideration for the financial blowback long term. That's right. That was all, yes, that was kicked into the long grass. Yes, yes. The the, the important thing was felt was, you know, we have to keep the consensus for the time being, maintain power. Yeah, Yeah, and, and then the left, in a sense, was... Not, not not complicit necessarily, but the left also gained because there were also um, uh, concessions for, for, for workers and, and um, uh, conditions of employment were really very favourable to workers. Mm-hmm. It was almost impossible to fire uh, workers in, 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 in a firm. Um, when when, uh, uh, when people were... Uh, uh, Fired, there was uh, uh, the state would would uh, uh, step in and 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 pay up to eighty percent of their salary for for up to five years. So to that's incredible uh, to cushion to yeah. cushion the, the 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 effects. So uh, yeah. So hearing about that, you can tell that Italy had one of the biggest communist parties in uh, 
Was it the biggest of any Western... Yeah, Western Europe, the biggest, yeah. You can tell because it's all geared towards the workers. You can claim a pension after 20 years, mm-hmm. we'll pay 80% of your wages if you get fired, and that's if you get fired at all because it's super difficult to make you get fired. Mm. I think a lot of people who champion hard-left politics uh, would be interested to know that because I think there's a feeling in this country that, oh, well, we'll get Jeremy Corbyn in and it'll all be fine. Well... You know, it's interesting. It's well, but it, it depends. I know, but you can still, I, I still would say, you can find um, ways of doing it that that perhaps uh, in, in are not so onerous for the for, for the taxpayers for mm-hmm. the budget. For instance, uh, in Denmark, a country where I spent four months as a visiting, as a research professor, um, in Denmark they uh, have introduced the 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 right for for businesses to hire and fire very easily. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when you are out of work, uh, you receive almost, almost the same as if you were in work. So you are protected. Yeah. So sure. the businesses have have that uh, that ease mm-hmm. uh, to hire and fire, but 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 people are protected nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a small country, so it's much easier to do it there. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you researched terrorism. You said that you were researching the bad guys. Um, what's the history there with terrorism in Italy, and how has it shaped what the country is now? Yes, um, thank you for that question, because in fact, uh, um, I, I worked on uh, on terrorism in Italy for, uh, what, for the past 12, 13 years, so it's, it's been, uh, represented a, a, a big part of my research uh, career, and uh, um, I, I worked on it uh, partly because uh, um, I lived through those days, through those years, yeah. uh, is not generally widely know that uh, that Italy went through a period of uh, quite sustained um, terrorist acts. They lasted from the late 1960s to the mid-1980s, so for quite a long time. And um, uh, with an overall number of, of, of casualties of death, uh, around 500, now, uh, in, in, in Northern Ireland, it's around 3,000. So, obviously, yeah. Northern Ireland is, is a worse case. But, I mean, uh, um, it's still uh, uh, a significant kind of phenomenon, much more significant than, than what happened in Germany, for instance. Yeah. Um, and this kind of terrorism was, was really for, uh, carried out for ideological reasons by extreme right, neo-fascist mm-hmm. groups and extreme left, um, Marxist and, and uh, ones. And uh, um, also the, 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 the terrorist acts were very different uh, because they range from bomb- bombing attacks mm-hmm. to... Um, uh, uh, murders and assassinations of, of politicians, of, of, of policemen, of judges, yeah. etc. This is mainly from the left. And and, and also because um, uh, terrorism in Italy has left a very long and deep legacy, um, partly because um, there are very, uh, there are still many unanswered questions and doubts and ambiguities uh, and one of these concerns the bombing attacks. It, it, unlike Northern Ireland, where it is fairly clear who carried out which bombing attack, usually the IRA claimed uh, uh, responsibility for a bombing attack. In, in Italy, no group claimed responsibility. In fact, what uh, uh, 
various investigations have disclosed is that uh, many uh, bombing attacks were carried out by extreme right groups, but they attempted to put the blame on extreme left ones. <laughs> okay. So this is known as false flag mm -hmm. terrorism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. So it was to discredit the left and 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 for fear of of because the Communist Party was becoming more and more popular with the electorate mm -hmm. and, and uh, it, it was the threat of, of communism in Italy was perceived as more and more imminent mm -hmm. and and so it was done in this way. So that in itself it is very complicated and, and, and quite uh, ambiguous. But if you add to that that there are uh, investigations and trials have uh, revealed that some sectors of the Italian state have connived with the terrorists, then it becomes much uh, wow. more complex. Oh my. And also that explains the legacy. There is, I think there is a legacy. We know that in Italy there is a high level of distrust in, in political institutions. This mm -hmm. is now becoming much more widespread in Europe. Just a bit. <laughs> yes, not just an Italian characteristic. But I think the, this, um, this suspicion, this lingering suspicion that the state may have connived with this kind of strategy... Uh, which is known as the strategy of tension. Create tension in the country, blame the left, yeah. and then maybe uh, uh, establish a more authoritarian type of government. That's and there's 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 evidence to say that this is this may have happened. Yes, I, I would say that there is evidence. Yes, there is evidence. So I've I've worked with uh, with yes the the legacy and memory of terrorism i have uh, interviewed former terrorists i worked with victims of terrorism especially mm -hmm. victims of these bombing attacks you know how do they how do they cope how have they managed to cope with it because they uh, they don't know they still don't know who was responsible even though i think now it has been established that it was it had been extreme right parties but then you have a campaign on, on the right press that totally denies and rejects the findings of the trials. So that tells you that the country is still deeply divided. Yeah, it's still a bit of a wound. It's, it's a wound that, that perpetuates and, and is still ideologically divided because uh, people cannot accept that maybe their own side may have done certain things. Yeah. So it would require, in my view, a, a, a wide kind of uh, dialogue, a wide process of, of dialogue with different different uh, actors, uh, like politicians mm -hmm. or the victims, the former terrorists, coming clean and, and, and uh, uh, remembering the past in all its shady Yeah, for sure. Uh, they tried to aspects. do that. I think it was Colombia. Uh, last year, I believe it was, when they invited the government, extended an olive branch to the guerrilla groups, mm -hmm, the terrorist mm -hmm, groups, mm -hmm. and they put it to a vote to the people, and the people actually voted, no, we don't want them, we don't want to give them the option of being let back into civilization. they've chosen this life, and if they've chosen that and they've done these terrible things, they should stay in the mountains. Do you think any kind of, first of all, any kind of vote would ever be extended to former terrorists in Italy, and if it was, do you think people would welcome the chance to sit around a table and discuss it, or do you think they'd keep it at arm's length? 
Well, first of all, it should be said that former terrorists uh, in Italy are now almost without exception, with just very few exceptions. They are free. They were freed after not many years uh, in in prison because there was this legislation to achieve pacification in the country, Mm -hmm. to put an end to the violence. There was a a legislation that uh, offered lenient sentences in exchange for uh revealing for for terrorists revealing what they knew or even simply uh because many didn't want to do that they didn't want to betray their former comrades so all they had to do was to say that they renounced violence and this has been true because they've all been released and there has been no more violence in Italy. Mm-hmm. So in that case, the legislation was successful. Mm-hmm. But in moral and ethical terms, uh, especially f- from the perspective of the victims, they feel they have not had justice because uh, uh, the, I'm talking now of, of the, the left terrorists, yeah. not, not of the, the bombers, but the left terrorists, um, uh, therefore the victims, they know who the culprits were uh, so they have at least that satisfaction. But they also know that after, let's say, 10, 12, 13 years in prison, they were able to go out, uh, have a family, restart their lives, something that they feel has been denied to them. So that this is a, a yet another legacy. So you, you were referring to, to Colombia. Obviously, many countries that have, that have been a kind of... Um, uh, you know, processes of, of truth and reconciliation, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, there have been, they have been countries that have moved from uh, a di- dictatorship to a democracy. So as part of that transition, mm-hmm. they have had um, these processes of, of transitional justice, of truth and reconciliation and so on. But because Italy was a democratic country even then, yeah. it, it, there was not felt to be an urgency to put in in, in place processes of this kind. And seems now it be, may be too late. Yeah, it seems to be, I was going to say, that balance between what you mentioned earlier, the, the pragmatism of what you actually do and the morals that you sell on the election ticket. It seems to be a recurring theme um, in Italy with what you've talked about, in that, yeah, we're going to say we're going to stop the violence, but we're going to do it by locking terrorists up for not very long sentences and then letting them go and as you said but I think that don't you think that that's the case in many conflicts in many civil wars if you want to put a stop to the civil war you have to accept political expediency to some extent so in many ways you know from a political point of view you probably cannot blame the, the then government for introducing that kind of legislation but it should have been followed probably by measures that would have involved the victims and allowed them much more to express their mm-hmm. uh, uh, their views, to, to even you know, vent their grievances, they had the right to do so, whereas they felt marginalised. Although in recent times they have started to write their memoirs, the children of the victims. So, so I would say the victims' uh, point of view has come much more into the public domain, which is a good thing. But 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 it's ongoing. It's yeah. unbelievable. After so many years, it is still an ongoing process. So let's flash forward then 12 months. <laughs> uh, 2018, December, uh, whatever it is now, this, uh, 2018. What does Italy look like, to your mind? How not, the, not much different. Not much that. different? No. Even I with the election? 
even with the election. I think that they, um, after lots of debate, lo lots of disagreement, they managed, uh, Parliament managed to uh, approve an electoral law, which um, in fact um, favours a kind of, of uh, uh, coalition governments, compromises and so on. And, and traditionally this is the way Italy has been governed. When um, when the First Republic, the so-called First Republic, came to an end in 1992, and then there was Berlusconi rise and so on, um, Italy for, for for around 20 years saw a kind of alternation of two coalitions in government. Mm. So for the first time, because as I said before, Christian democracy was always in government. Yeah. So you had this bipolar system, which is what you have in this country, first one, then the other. Yeah. But traditionally, Italy has been governed much more by coalition where you satisfy uh, a partner here, a partner there, it compromises. Yeah. And, and I think what you have at present, even though it's not openly acknowledged, and I think that's what you're going to have in December 2018. <laughs> Professor Annabelle, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Uh, this has been the University of Bath Thought Train. Um, like, listen, share and subscribe.